0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse, and that is the Navigator Series. Now they have the women's windrows, they have the men's windrows, and then they have the Atlas the Atlas series within that as well. So go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have. I've been using mine for a couple weeks now, and I am very impressed with the, the fit and the feel. And I can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run. So lacrossefootwear.com, check them out. Welcome to the
1: Transition Wild Podcast, brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 50, where we talk with Bo Martonic on out-of-state elk hunting. Hello, thanks again for tuning in to the Transition Wild Podcast, the number one source for Western big game hunting. Can you believe it? This is my 50th podcast episode. I started this podcast... Let's see. A couple years ago, now in 2017, Dan Johnson, the the founder, the man, the myth, the legend of the Sports Nation podcast network, he called me up and said, "Hey, man, I need a Western podcast for my lineup." And at the time, there was only four uh, podcasts on the network, and and now there's just you know tons of different episodes, some really badass content coming out, and I'm proud to say I'm I'm part of the the nation, and uh, looking forward to many more episodes to gum, to gum, uh, to come. And, uh, It's it's uh, like I said, fifty episodes has flown by. So that's a that's a pretty cool milestone for me. It's uh, I've had a lot of good conversations, a lot of uh, good informational topics, product companies, uh, DIYers, public land, a lot of elk hunting stuff. So I hope you guys are digging it, and I'm gonna try to keep the keep the force coming here uh, through the rest of the year and and continuing on into the future. So I appreciate. All of you for tuning in, leaving all the reviews, uh, the, the positive feedback, the emails, the messages, it all means a lot. Elk season's here. A lot of you guys are hit, hit, hitting the trails, heading west, and uh, if you're hunting Colorado and and uh, you need a little bit last-minute advice, go to TransitionWild.com, subscribe. I will send you the Colorado Beginner Elk Hunting Guide for free. It's a 10-page PDF, kind of kickstarts you on elk hunting in Colorado from scouting, planning a hunt um you know information gear all that stuff so go check it out transitionwild.com all right along those same lines my guest today is Bo Martonic. and I've known him for the past uh 3 years and uh you know we see each other at the shows um and and get to chat a little bit at some of the winter shows that we we both attend and and he's just a really great dude I I really enjoy um, Bo, and he recently started up a podcast about a year ago and uh, it's called East meets West, um, hunting and you know, his, his whole thing is, is a lot of out of state adventure hunting, planning trips, how he goes about it. So we're today's episode really dives into elk hunting. But we tackle it from a number of angles of how he plans, how he prepares, his gear setup, his his fitness, and just one of those episodes where we're talking a lot about about that like particular planning, and then also you know kind of what he learned from his his first elk hunts, what he's doing you know to change things up for this fall, and and some really good stories. He's uh, for only elk hunting just a few years. He he really knows what he's doing. He knows his stuff. So I really enjoyed this episode. Hope you guys did too or you do (laughs) when you listen to it. Hope you guys really enjoy it. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get Bo on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, on the line of us now we have Bo Martanic. How's it going today, man?
2: Uh not too bad, Adam. Long time no talk. How are you?
1: <laughs> I'm doing well. It's uh it's balls ass hot here in Colorado and it sounds like it's the same in PA, so we're, we're oh, both yeah. in it together.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's hot and humid, and and uh, I, I can't complain though because it's we had a lot of rain this summer, so to to get a couple nice days, I'll take the take the heat, you know.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, we we got to catch up a little bit at. At some of the shows, and, and you know, obviously we we frequent the same haunts in the in the winter time with <laughs> all the different shows. But uh, we, because I was so damn busy at at the booth and everything, it just seemed like we never got a ton of quality time. So I'm looking forward to this conversation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, man. That's, those shows are awesome. You get to see everyone, but it's never like you don't get to sit down and really have a good conversation with anyone because it's always just like you know you're just (laughs) running from one side to the next it seems like
1: exactly yeah it's like i i hardly ever get a free minute anymore it seems like i mean i've been to the ata show now four times three or four times i can't remember but it just seems like i never get to walk around or do anything because i'm just so busy it's just it's just wild but it's all good i'm not going to complain (laughs)
2: <laughs> I think I I think I met you there. It might have been three years ago now. Yeah, I don't know. My first one. I've been to three of them now. Nice. And uh, yeah, when I was working for Bucks and Bows and stopped by. I think that's how I met you originally.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, very cool, man. Well, I've uh, I see you got a lot going on. I I've just been following you, and I think you had a recent didn't you do a recent publication or article in a in a magazine? I can't remember. Thought that was you? Yeah, sweet. Yep. Man. Yeah, I did. Tell us about that. Yeah,
2: yeah so um, recently I had uh, one of my articles published in Peterson's Bowhunting, which was awesome. This is, this is this is the third time that I had an article published in there, but the first two were all stories around you know deer that uh, I killed or someone I was hunting with killed, and this time it was one that was just you know an article about tactics and hunting mountain bucks and what what I consider mountain bucks is for whitetail hunting is in the Appalachian range that yep. runs all the way up the East coast. So it's just big woods, you know, steep country, um, whitetails. It's super thick. Uh, I guess a lot of people kind of compare it to Oregon at times, like where it's just, it's just super thick type uh, country. So I wrote an article in there for that and uh, I was a cover story and everything. And I was really, really
1: excited about that. That's awesome, man! Congrats. That's uh, I can tell you what if you if you know your way around big woods, like like what you're at there. I I spent a little time when I lived in Michigan. I hunted uh, some of the Wayne National Forests in Southeast Ohio. I don't know if it's kind of similar terrain. I I think it's probably more open, bigger woods. But um, man, that stuff is just. It's probably the toughest whitetail hunting I've ever done just because you're strictly relying on topography, the wind's always swirling like crazy. You're trying to find little food sources or whatever. It's just it's just really yeah. tough. It's uh it's well, crazy. Well,
2: yeah, that that area of Ohio is very similar to parts of uh, PA. It's it's like a it's a little bit thicker here like in and specifically down in like sou- southern Ohio and everything. It's a lot of, you know, it's steep and you know narrow ridges with just big oak trees and stuff but it kind of makes it a little bit more open where a lot of here we have just beach brush and, and clear cuts and thickets and everything else that's going on but there's different parts of the state that do have those you know just big giant oak ridges and everything and they're they're awesome to hunt
1: yeah it, it's it's beautiful terrain it really is and uh like i said i i, I just feel fortunate i've been able to white tail hunting and just a lot of different terrains you know from like the flatlands of kansas to kind of iowa where it's the mix of i would say kind of ohio and kansas it's just like you know (laughs) you got both fields and and draws and then you just got the big woods of like ohio stuff and it's just completely different environment it's really really cool
2: yeah i forgot you were from michigan so i mean i guess the upper part of the state would be similar to what to what i'm hunting in pennsylvania too you know just
1: so yeah, very nice, man. I like it. Well, you're uh, you're also uh, not fairly new. You've been doing the podcast world for a little while. How long has that been? You've been doing a podcast for like a year. I can't remember.
2: Yeah, it was last July. I started it July first. So yeah, we're just just over a year here. <laughs>
1: cool, crazy, man. Isn't it? It's a whole different world, isn't it? Yeah, I, I
2: mean. As you know, it, it's uh it's very time consuming and it's it's <laughs> awesome to be able to do though and get to talk to so many different people. So that's that's been great.
1: It really is. I uh, you know, starting out can be such a struggle where you're trying to get comfortable with everything and then then you're trying to learn your equipment and doing the audio levels. It's just like, it's, it can be so frustrating as you know. And then, but once you get yep. into the swing of things, you kind of get comfortable, you you start to get the hang of it and you really get into your groove. So you're probably at that stage by now where you're feeling a lot more comfortable.
2: Oh yeah. I I went back and, and I wanted to listen to some information from one of the ones I did way back. And it was one of my first episodes I recorded. And I just, I like wanted to turn it off because I felt like (laughs) like I wasn't, you know, comfortable or not being myself with talking and everything. And, and, you know, at the time I thought it was okay, but as you kind of progress and get more comfortable and the audio gets better and just, yeah, it's it's definitely a learning process. (laughs) I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't have any background in, you know, sound uh, managing it or editing, you know audio stuff so it was like it's just brand new
1: yeah yeah i was caught in the same boat like a long time ago i did did some stuff in garage band with like recording like some guitar music and stuff but (laughs) other than that i didn't really know what what i was doing but there's there's some days i'm just like ah why am i doing this this is just such a grind and then there's other days you're like ah this is cool i'm glad i'm i'm glad i'm doing it
2: (laughs) yeah man there's there's it definitely keeps you Busy is an understatement, you know, I mean, it, it sounds simple, Oh, you record, you know, you get someone on, you interview them, then <laughs> you put it up on the internet, right, that's, yeah, simple. that's how it works, but no, I I, I respect what you do, because I, I know how much work goes into it.
1: <laughs> yeah, right back at you, man, it's, uh, it's a different animal altogether. Well, that's cool, um, well, I, like I said, I'm, I'm so glad to have you on here, and we can catch up on a lot of things, but uh, I, I really want to dive into kind of like western elk hunting and kind of planning an adventure trip because i know that's kind of your forte you've you've done a number of uh you know out-of-state trips and and you've got some elk hunting under your belt so i want to i want to pick your brain on that but um first i guess just give a little background on yourself bo just for everybody listening you know maybe where you're from where you grew up um how you got into hunting all that stuff
2: yeah so like Adam said, my name is Bo Martonic, and I'm from north-central Pennsylvania, uh, just a small town up in the, the Pennsylvania Wilds region. So if you can picture, it's 2.1 million acres of public land up in northern PA, just kind of anywhere from rolling hills to really steep mountainous-type terrain and just woods, as far as you can see. So that's that's kind of what I you know grew up in, and it's been— it's been great to grow that grow up there because I've experienced a different type of whitetail hunting than you typically watch on TV and stuff like that, where it's, you know, there's no food plots and, and all of that. It's just, it's kind of like a mixture between Western hunting and whitetail hunting in my opinion. So that's, that's kind of how I grew up hunting in that space. And, and as I, you know, got older, I just, I just all of a sudden got a bug to want to start hunting out west, and and it was really, I think it was yeah, it was 2016. I just decided this was you know my chance to do it, and then I read a book that was, um, it's a pretty popular one, but Cameron Haynes's book, Backcountry Bowhunting. Yeah. And and that that book kind of got me all in on wanting to do it, and I just it was like February, and I'm like called my brother and my cousin up. I'm like, hey we got to hunt the West. Like, this is, this is <laughs> what we, like, we should do it. And they're like, all right. You know, I don't know how smart they were for just answering that so quick, but we did it and I uh, had no idea where to start, but just kind of started, you know, diving into it and, and made it happen. But that's, that's kind of like my journey, I guess, with, with hunting and, and you know, going back into, uh, you know, how I kind of start, got started into going out West.
1: But yeah, that's that's really cool. It's 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 crazy, you know, like not like it's not like it's a bad thing if people don't go out of state and and hunt and if they want to just stick around their own grounds and hunt the same 40 acres or the pub, piece of public land that they grew up hunting, that's awesome. That's great. But like I just always encourage people if they get the opportunity uh, or, you know, if you really love hunting, you need to go on an out of state trip. It could be, you know, if you're from Michigan, go hunt the public lands of Ohio right next door, or, you know, go do a Western mule deer hunt or go out to the mountains and experience that. It's just something about the out of state trip, the adventure, the camaraderie, doing it with friends and creating those memories. It's just something people got to experience.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's so true. And, and with, uh, with the company that I started East meets West at all, like I have a tagline, it's, it's how do you define adventure, and, yeah, I love that. you know, what, oh thank you, but what, what I meant with, like, that is, like, you can, you know, adventure is really yours to define, that could be, you know, a western trip to the Rocky Mountains, a hunt elk, or the or that could be a trip to Alaska, or that could be just driving 40 miles down the road to a, a piece of, you know, public ground that's a swamp that you've never hunted before. You know, like yeah for whitetails or turkeys there's there's so it's all in what you, you make of it and what you have the time and the resources and stuff to do. So that's I, I love just going to different places. Like I think I'd be I think I could be more uh, I guess successful at times if I would just, you know, stick to the same things. <laughs> but I just I just love like just kind of just bouncing around and going to different places.
1: Yeah, it's it's so fun. Some of my best hunts have been just hopping in the truck and and bringing a tent and some of my gear and a cooler and just going solo and and uh, hitting some public ground and trying out those new areas. It's just you don't have to spend a ton of money. You know, it doesn't take a ton of effort. You just go do it. And that's what I encourage people to do. And I know you do the same thing. So that's really cool.
2: Yeah, no that that was something that took me a little bit to learn too was like I I thought you know that was out of reach for me to go on a western hunt, like it was going to cost all this money and don't get me wrong you can make it cost a whole bunch of money yeah and, and it's sometimes I do when it gets into the gear side of things but you don't need to like you can you can come up with you know a, a budget and you know I've, I've broken it down before to figure out you know what I could do from a minimalist level and still be able to have an amazing experience and it's it's pretty cool
1: Yeah, especially, you know, when you start splitting some of those costs uh, a couple ways, you got a couple buddies with you, um, you know, saving the saving some gas, you can, you know, if you're if you got to stop and get a hotel, it's not too bad. Um, You know, you can split the the difference on maybe if it's your first time, maybe you can split some gear items like you maybe only need one like Jetboil and you know, one of this. So uh, I know that's a good way to kind of kind of save some money is just going with some friends and, and getting a group together.
2: Oh yeah. That's, that's huge. I mean, especially coming from, you know, the East going out West, it's like the gas is, gas is, you know, more than tags cost for the most part. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Which
2: is, which is crazy.
1: It is. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, for me, the the tag in Colorado for elk is only like 50 bucks. So I, oh. I love <laughs> whereas what, what was your Montana tag? They do like something different. You hunted Montana, right?
2: No, actually, I've never hunted Montana before.
1: Oh, okay, well, I've had I've hunted Colorado. Colorado and, okay, yeah, and
2: then just and I'll be going to Idaho this year, but I've not hunted Montana.
1: Got it, got it. Well, I know I know non-resident tags. It wasn't it isn't it like six hundred fifty bucks or something like that for a uh, either sex archery for non-resident.
2: Yeah, for yeah for Colorado, I think it was six fifty six something like that. Yeah, that it came out to the first year I was out there it was like six thirty six, and it changes a little bit, but. Yeah, it's, it's uh, then if you end up getting a deer tag or a bear tag and you top it all off, you're you're pushing that thousand mark.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it can add up real quick. Um, yeah, so what, uh, so like, so you got your brother, another buddy, um, got this group together, and and I guess what, what were kind of some of the initial steps? Like, what, how did you decide maybe? where to hunt, when to hunt? Why'd you pick Colorado? Um, What were kind of the initial planning steps in your whole process?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the way I did it then is I'd I'd recommend doing it a little bit differently, but I'll kind of go through both scenarios here. So when I first started, I didn't know where to go. So I just went right to forums like everybody does. You Google search, I'm going to elk hunting out West, you know, (laughs) do yourself elk hunting. And you can get down some serious rabbit holes with that, but what I did learn from there was that Colorado had a lot of public land over-the-counter opportunities, and it was also the closest drive from the east. That's what you know; those things yep. brought to me. I'm like, all right, we're going to go to Colorado. And at that point, I was just starting to get into like podcasts, and it was a couple of them uh, back then I, that I listened to, and that you know kind of started helping me out. But what the the real the biggest thing was is because I was really scatterbrained like I had a whole bunch of information that I was getting from all these places but didn't know how they all fit together and at the at the time it was Corey Jacobson uh from milk 101 came out with his online course university elk hunting that year yeah and I signed signed up for it and went through that course and that was huge to be able to help me um learn the whole planning process and all the way through to make that hunt happen but Another, you know, really good resource was Go Hunt. So I bought a Go Hunt membership and you know that's how I kind of learned how to dig into the units and understanding how everything everything worked, you know. I cuz here, you know, I just in Pennsylvania or even Ohio, I just go buy a tag. I didn't know much about, you know, draws and everything else that comes along with it and you know point systems. So that was all really new to me. Yeah. And by having a few of those resources, it was, it was really helpful to, to get the, the initial steps for the, to plan that out. Those, those couple resources helped me.
1: Yeah. Did you, were you crunching, um, like I'm, I'm sure you're kind of doing it in go hunt. It kind of gives you harvest statistics and stuff like that. But were you talking to any, you know, biologists or anything in the, in the local areas of, of, of Colorado or were you just kind of going off of the data, uh, off go hunt?
2: Well, actually, that's funny because the the (laughs) unit I picked, I based this all off of Cameron Haynes' book. and He's like, you got to go to the steepest and gnarliest places possible and there'll be elk and no people. I'm like, well, that's what I'm going to do. And it was kind of a wake up call um, when I got out there, how steep it was. Uh, I had never seen the Rocky Mountains until my first day there. But, yeah, so I I didn't – go through that process but what i do now is is when i'm looking like i'm hunting idaho this year i've never stepped foot there before i i do look harvest the uh percentage is a big one that i look at as well as like bull to cow ratio for talking you know elk hunting and there's a you know a few different things there percentage of public lands just kind of looking at the map seeing what kind of terrain it is you know what what i'm looking to get out of the hunt and um, i usually be able to pull that information from go hunt and then once I, you know, figure that out, then I jump over to Onyx and Google Earth and kind of start looking at the land a little bit and and figuring out like the, the nitty gritty, you know, specifics of the hunting area.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. What I I'm sure a lot of people are seeing the same trend. It's just you know that there's the whole backcountry craze right now and and getting further back in and trying to find that gnarly country, uh, which can be good, but man, with all the like advancements in, in lightweight gear and these you know ready to eat meals you can just it a lot of people are getting back further in and there's there's more people back there and it's like i don't know I'm, i i i like both ways but i'm i'm just seeing opportunities at elk that are that are getting overlooked because they have the mentality or the playbook that you know, you got to go five miles in and, you know, 3,000 feet up that mountain. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I try to encourage people maybe to also find some overlooked pieces or maybe some different spots that you can check out too. So, I always tell people to keep that in the back pocket.
0: Oh,
2: that, I was just going to say. So, that's one thing I learned because the last, um, I guess, three years being out there. I've done it, you know, the backpack style, like the first year, backpacked in for seven years, you know, or seven years, seven (laughs) days. That's a long trip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was there for seven years, no, seven (laughs) days, and and it was where we ended up finding the elk was literally back towards the truck. Like, we went in and set up a base camp, and then I was finding the elk back towards the truck. Isn't that crazy? Next year, I did the same thing, and we're finding the elk in the same places back towards the truck there were these you know overlooked spots that say there's a a trailhead and then there's a a trail like a hiking trail runs all the way up the ridge and what everyone was doing was they'll hike all the way up the trail and get on the top of the ridge and go left or right where there'd be like a steep nasty kind of canyon off to one side or the other that's only you know one to two miles from the road and that's where i was finding these elkin and the first year i went out there i'd you know, bugle off the trail down in those canyons, never hear anything and move on. And once I dove down into those spots, like this just thick, dark timber areas, I was getting into elk and just, I just screwed up every opportunity, but I was still getting into them and hearing them when, once I realized that you can hear when people go, they would bugle off the same spots. It's like a picture perfect area and they don't answer that. Like when when I, I had one going and then I heard, uh, a bugle, you know, from that, that one, uh, I guess, point there that's off the trail and then they all just shut up. So it was, it was really interesting to see how they react to people. And then last year I did the first half of my trip, I did all just truck camping and day hunting into those areas. And I covered more ground. I was able to keep, you know, moving around the different spots and being mobile. And this year I'm, I don't know if I'll backpack much at all maybe for like a day or so but i i think being mobile from the truck is is a decent option i don't really know if one better than the other but i kind of like it
1: well i think it i think it really depends on your experience i think everybody needs the experience you know packing in with everything on your back and you know doing a two day three day five day whatever um, off your back i think that's such a cool experience um but it's not the only way to get it done and, and then there's also a lot of good elk hunting right from the road. Like I've, I've driven from my house and you drive, you might have to drive an hour or so, but I mean, you can still get into elk and, and, um, there's just so many ways to skin a cat. And I just, I just try to encourage people to keep an open mind and, and you don't necessarily have to be the hardcore, you know, bomb up the mountain guy. You can, like you said, you can get into elk, you know, anywhere in between and, and kind of like the whole truck camping, road camping. I, I feel like you can, You know, when one spot's dead or whatever, you don't, you're not kind of held to that specific area. You can, you can get in the truck, drive 10 miles away and try out this other basin or this area. You know, it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll,
2: I'll tell you what, like that's when you're looking at the barrier to entry and if you're just getting into elk hunting or Western hunting at all, you know, you, and you're coming from out East, buying all that backpacking gear can be very expensive. Yeah. You can go out and truck camp and use a lot of the same stuff you might for whitetail hunting and apply it to western hunting yes it's not going to be ideal but it it can happen yeah it's a good way to get going you know besides you know needing a you know a good pack and a good set of boots you know other than that you can you can definitely play around with some stuff
1: yeah that's that's a good point yeah that's a really good point you know because i mean you start stacking a tarp or tent and you know, some, of, some of that stuff, it, it can, you know, the jet boils and all Season these right. Bags yeah. 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 Like the really, yeah. The super, you know, negative temperature, or, you know, those really high quality downs. I mean, you can, you can start racking up the, the cash pretty easily. So that, yeah, I like that. That is a good tip. You know, like that allows you to free up some budget and, and maybe get into an elk hunt a lot cheaper.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. And it's just, it's, it's just, I, I didn't think of that when I first started doing it. Like, I just thought you had to be, you know, super hardcore and going back in. And don't get me wrong, that stuff is fun. Like, yeah. I, I, that's a whole different type of experience. But you can still have an amazing experience from the truck yeah. or whatever and have those luxuries. Because, I mean, everyone wants to sound, you know, tough. But when you get out there, it's an eye-opener. It, you know, it wears on your <laughs> mind a little bit. Having those comforts of... You know, coming back to your truck and, you know, cooking there. I mean, last year, some guys I went with from Pennsylvania, they brought horses out. And the second half of my trip, I met up with them and we packed in on horses. We walked next to them. But we went back in like, I don't know, I think it was around eight miles instead of camp. And there was people everywhere. Really? (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. Like, there was, you know, an outfitter that was set up back in there. Other people brought llamas in. You know, it was it was crazy to me.
1: <laughs> you know what? I've I've heard a lot of similarities to that. I've had, uh, you know, a number of people on the podcast where it's just like you get further in, you almost run into more people. So you're you're kind of you're kind of saying the same thing, which is pretty crazy. <laughs>
2: yeah, it is. And and that it took me a little bit to you know put the pieces together. And I, I was actually talking on the podcast with Corey Jacobson. He was kind of the one that. Put it together for me, where I was, you know, thinking in my head. You know, you go back and deep, and I'm looking at all these areas. And I'm looking for the roadless spots and and everything. And then he's like, you know, it's, there's that zone in between there that you can, you know, cover. A lot of you got the people hunt from the truck that might even go, only go one or two miles in. Then you got the backcountry guys that are going, you know, six to Extra amount of miles in and there's a kind of a gap in the middle
1: yeah yeah yep exactly overlook spots man just find where the people aren't and that's where the elk will be <laughs>
2: that's my that's my plan this year i'm um uh, i'm going to idaho it's just i actually looked for a spot that does not have i mean the unit does but the area i'm going to does not have like a big wilderness area there's not like giant tracks of you Know being able to go in deep, and I'm just hoping people overlook it because of that. You know, it's kind of when you pull up a map, it's not a spot that jumps out at you,
1: yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, is that you know, maybe how, uh, excuse me, is that maybe how, how some of your hunt planning differs from maybe Colorado the last couple of years to Idaho? Is that more of your strategy? All right, you've got maybe kind of this unit in this specific area and now you're trying to find maybe some of these overlooked spots and that's kind of your next step you're going to start picking the you know pieces apart there and start marking spots and potential you know areas you want to get into
2: yeah so what i'm doing at first is i'm pulling up i'm pulling up on first to like kind of see how the boundaries work and kind of figure out the trail systems and simultaneously i'll have google earth pulled up to kind of really get a 3d view of how everything looks. And one, one tip with Google earth that I'd recommend people looking at is if you have the actual like desktop version, you can go in and there's a little a tab that says historical imagery. You turn that on and take it back to a recent year that the photos were taken in September yep. or as close as you can. Cause when you do that one, you can see what areas are green and you know, where possibly the elk might be feeding and how the water sources look. And also you can see base camps, you can see trucks at trailheads, you can see a whole bunch of different stuff that helps out a yeah, lot. Yeah,
1: I like that. That's really cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I, uh, I kind of do the same thing with Google Earth and then I also use the, uh, I don't know what feature it's called, but it's like you're, you're looking at it from the perspective of like ground level view So like, I'll, I'll I'll like do that if I'm like thinking, oh, this could be a good glassing spot or, you know, how's this look for a perspective or if I'm going to get to here, can I see that? And, and I'll kind of use that too. I really like that.
2: Yeah, no, that's uh that's, that's definitely, I like that view too, where you take the little person and kind of throw them down the road and (laughs) and look up, you know, or like, I'll go up to what I think is a glassing point and I'll try to get as low as possible and aim, you know, the camera out on Google Earth and kind of see what you can see from those areas. And it's actually pretty accurate. Yeah. You know, I've done that in Colorado and then went there. And the one thing I would definitely warn about Google Earth if you haven't used it is it does not make it as deep as it really is <laughs> that's
1: that's the reality and everything i'm always looking at these maps and i'm like ah that's that's not going to be too bad to get into that's that's going to be a cakewalk and it's always way way worse
2: <laughs> yeah i'm like oh i'll hit, i'll go to this spot i'll go to this spot you know in the <laughs> afternoon and i get there i'm like it's taking me all day just to get to number one
1: yeah isn't <laughs> that crazy
2: but what i, what I also do with onyx is uh I'll kind of look at the trail systems and how they work. And this is, this is this year. So I, this is not proven. This is just kind of what I'm doing in my head is I'm trying to find areas that don't have, you know, a lot of hiking trails going through them. And, and even, you know, like I said, it's cause, because I'm looking at these areas that aren't giant tracks and stuff, they might not be, you know, as, you know, it's not going to catch someone's eye to want to hike there or do things like that. So you, you kind of get rid of the, non hunting crowd from, you know, walking through there. And also, you know, there's not like these big trailheads. I'm not I'm trying to stay away from yeah. Giant trailheads. And, and like I said, you can do great from trailheads. It does make it easier to get through the backcountry to spots, but that's just like what I said, it makes it easier to do that. And and that's I you know it's it, that's one thing that I've been kind of looking at, you know, campgrounds, things like that, and trying to see where our hunters is going to be drawn to, you know. I'm kind of looking at it from a lot of the stuff I've learned over the last few years and doing the opposite, like <laughs> you know, just kind of trying to think, you know, in the mind of a hunter and then doing it a little different
1: that's that's a 100% cuz it's not only you versus the animal it's you versus everybody else and and uh that's a great way to look at it i you know i've i've learned some similar things i i think you're you're onto something there and and i think it could pay off pretty good like last let's see last summer or no it was opening week uh, archery season for elk in colorado and um i was actually just hunting right outside of a town like i wasn't that far away but it was a drought and there was not a lot of food in the high country. So I was finding that these elk were coming down there feeding in these irrigated like alfalfa fields and stuff. So they'd kind of bet up on the public and then they'd move down to private. But, um, I was just, I was amazed at those elk being there number one. But like you said, it, it, it was an area that there's, there's ATV trails and I saw, you know, trucks and ATVs going through there, but there wasn't a lot of foot traffic. It wasn't like hikers and stuff. Um, cause it wasn't like a big chunk of land, but, um, those elk were there and, and, uh, it, it always amazed me. I hunted that herd for like two or three days before I finally <laughs> screwed up and blew them out of there. But it's, uh, it's, it's amazing where they end up going and it doesn't necessarily have to be your traditional, you know big woods dark timber cover that we're all you know kind of have in this mind that that's where they should be
2: so yeah no that's 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 so true like I remember like I had in my head before I went out on my first trip like what you know elk hunting should look like like a a bugling bull coming through the aspen trees and like you know just the and that wasn't you know i've i've seen that but it's not normally the case you know it's normally i would find this like just thick nasty blow down filled dark timber patch it's in this you know small steep valley kind of off the beaten path and you know that's where i end up getting into them, wondering how they even travel through there but
1: yeah it's it's
2: it's interesting
1: it is it is so so what it, what's going to be like your go-to strategy it sounds like you've got you know a number of these kind of areas picked out but what's What's going to be your strategy day one when you get out there? Are you going to spend a day or two, you know, a day driving around, glassing, you know, just kind of looking at the pressure, maybe other hunters? Um, What's going to be your kind of, you know, show up, this is what I'm going to do strategy?
2: So what I'm kind of thinking, I mean, this is subject to change, but what I'm thinking is to get, like, used to the elevation everything, I've learned from experience not to go too hard on the first day you know, and especially coming from, you know, 2,500 feet elevation, you know, going to 10,000 feet, it's a huge difference. So getting there in the first day, or at least the first, you know, until I start feeling comfortable, you know, maybe doing some glassing from the truck, or just, you know, a, uh, you know, a short hike or something, just to kind of get yourself warmed up. And and that might include, you know, I'm going with a couple guys, depending on if we take you know, I will probably just take one vehicle, but maybe, you know, driving around a little bit and seeing, you know, where the people are and everything else and just trying to get an idea for the layout of the land. You know, even though I feel like you get a pretty good picture from looking at maps and Google Earth and Onyx and everything, you, d- you don't get the full experience until you're there. So that's, that's something I think I've made a mistake in the past doing is I just, you know, had a predetermined spot I'm just going into and... Sometimes when you have that in your mind, you're not hunting the elk where they are. You're just going to where you think they are. Yeah. And that's, you know, not always a, a good plan of attack. And I mean, last year, I, the first day we were truck camping, but we hiked like 12 miles the first day and that was way too much. I got super sick and cause it was, you know, I went straight from driving all through the night, you know, 24 hours or 27 hours, whatever it was to you know just hiking up to i think it was the highest i got was almost twelve thousand feet oh, wow. and Jeez. that was not not easy to do so <laughs> that's some, my my advice would be is kind of take it a little bit easier on the first day and you know plan that into your trip if you can to have that extra day or so to kind of get the feel for everything
1: yeah that's that's huge i see i see a lot too i i see a lot of non-resident hunters come out and they just you know burn they don't it's not like they're dead but they definitely do burn themselves out on the first day and I'm you know I'm guilty of it guilty of it everybody is it's almost like there's so much ad- adrenaline running and you're just so excited but you gotta gotta pull the reins back and 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 it'd be smart you know this is a so a can't and you're in it for the long run it's not only a physical game but it's a also a mental game and if you wear yourself out physically and and after the first day you're hurting you know that's going to wear on you mentally too so there's something to yeah that.
2: and you don't just recover you know because you're going every day like you're once you like really drain yourself right off the bat you're kind of screw, screwing yourself for the rest <laughs> of the trip and so that's, that's kind of been my mentality with it. And one thing I, d- I did want to add to the last uh, point when we were talking about the scouting process. So I'm super guilty of overthinking things and over researching to the point of like almost where you can't make a decision. And I heard, actually, I read something in an article at Dustin Rowe, he's a guide up in um, Canada. Yep. But, you know, he, they're like, you know, Dustin, how do you kill? you know, big sheep and all this stuff in these areas that have low success rates, low numbers, all this stuff. He, he said, if there's an allotment for tags, then there's animals there to be found. And that's such a good, you know, mentality. You yeah. Know, that's like, if I'm going, you know, I'm going to start, you know, try to put myself in the best scenario with success rates and bull to cow ratios and all that, you know, that's all stuff you should look at. But then after that, it just comes down to working and, you know, not giving up and, you know, pushing through it the best you can. So that's just something I wanted to add. You know, if you're starting to get overwhelmed with planning an out-of-state trip like that, it, a lot of it comes down to just, you know, putting in the time.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, uh, I recently had, uh, Jared Scheffler on the podcast. I mean, obviously he's known more for his public land, whitetail hunting, but we're, we're talking elk and from his whitetail stuff to his elk stuff, I mean, I don't think there's anybody else on the planet who does it better than him. Who just shows up and and learns <laughs> learns an area and plays for that day. And he he told he told me in the podcast he he, he really other than like just kind of initially determining an area and a unit, like he doesn't do any sort of digital scouting. He doesn't do any pre scouting whatsoever. He he literally shows up often sometimes he doesn't even know where he's going or how he's even going to get there. But when he shows up damn well, he's, he's, he's driving, you know, hundreds of miles in a day and just trying to learn every single piece and, and, uh, you know, just really tears it apart. So there's something to that as well. Once, you know, you kind of got an area picked out, like, you know, there's so many things that can change, whether it's weather, hunting pressure, food sources uh you never know so i mean you do got to keep an open mind for sure yeah no
2: that's that's such a good and yeah jared i've you know had his dvds now for a while with whitetail adrenaline and used some of those you know tactics of his that are off the wall to most of the you know whitetail community to hunt and just be aggressive and just figure it out as you go and again it, I think we all get in the habit of overthinking things and trying to create scenarios that just aren't there. Like you got to do with what's happening.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent.
2: And so, like, just to give an example of last year in Colorado, I went to the area I'd been in the previous two years, and the high country was dry. Like it was so dry that there was no elk there where they were before they had moved. And it took it took me. Uh, until six days in before i found elk and, and that was just i just kept moving until i found them and then we ended up getting into bulls and having opportunities i went from hunting them at like eleven thousand feet down to seventy five hundred in a completely different unit you know wow. it's, yeah sometimes you just gotta do that and move and and keep you know keep kind of adjusting i think that's that's in my opinion, I think that would be great. And, and like I said, I'm not sitting here trying to tell you that, you know, I, I know everything about elk hunt I absolutely don't and will never say that, <laughs> but like, that's just, this is just experiences of mine that, that I've learned from.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, to, to your standpoint too, if you're, if you're checking out some areas that might be a little bit lower elevation, I don't know what you're looking at, but, um, it just seems to be like the wetter years. Like this year, this summer, and with the snowpack we've had here in the West, it just seems like this typically tends to be a better, like, high country year. Like, they definitely do like those high country meadows. There's plenty of food in the high country, Um, you know, whereas last year it was so dry. But, uh, but that tend to like push them lower. Like they, I was seeing a lot of elk in like scrubby oak brush. They were eating acorns. Um, they were getting into ag fields. Like you name it, that's they were in and around private land, some of those low areas. So I, I've kind of seen high precipitation years. It Seems like the elk are all over the high country. Those dry years, really dry years, like we had last year, they they seem to be down lower. So food for thought there I don't know if it's 100% but that's just what I've seen
2: yeah no I I, I couldn't agree more I them mean, that's where we ended up you know seeing elk in the first spot all the lowest spots where they were was private land so I had to change and go to an area that had some lower country that was still holding water you know and beaver ponds and you know streams and stuff that had more water lower and that's it's just adapting to what the situation is
1: 100% very cool well, let's talk a little bit about gear preparation. What uh, what's what's kind of that look like for you? I, I know you've went in uh, to a couple hunts now, but as far as like your gear prep, it sounds like you went through the whole backcountry thing, so you got the tents and stuff. But what do you bringing this year for more of your um, truck camping, road camping sort of thing? What's that look like?
2: Yeah. So first, I I would definitely say no matter what gear you're taking get familiar with it. And that's a big part of like my summer is I'll go for hikes around here in the national forest and everything and just pack my bag like I would for elk hunting and get used to how I'm packing my bag, where I'm putting things. So it's second nature. When you're in the dark, you're tired, you're wore out, you know, on a hunt, you know where everything's at and how it works. Cause when, when you get in a scenario like that and things can go wrong, they will. And you need to know how your gear works, where you're, the strong points of them are where the weak points are and just getting familiar with that is, you know, better than you can go out and spend thousands of dollars and stuff. You don't know how to use it. You just pull it out of the box and you're going to be in a worse case scenario than if you have cheap stuff that you know how it works. Yeah. And I, I think that's like the one thing I wanted to say up front, but as far as what it's looking like for me, I'm going to run uh, a bag this year. I'm going to run a, a Sika Mountain Hauler 4000, a little bit smaller um, bag than I'm typically using. And so it's capable of hauling meat because that's going to be important, but I don't want to be carrying a lot of stuff. I'm going to leave my cooking stuff at the truck. And I'm going to, you know, I'm just not going to bring my sleeping gear with me. I'm going to, you know, keep it pretty light and you know, keeping, uh, you know, my kill kit in there with the with game bags, knife, all of that. And, you know, first aid kit, plenty of water. I'm big on bringing a lot of water. <laughs> I, I don't know if I it just, I feel like I drink like a fish, but oh, me being too. Hy- hydrated is like, is huge. You know, I, I easily go through, you know, four liters of water in a day. I fill up a three liter bladder and an algae, and I end up, you know, filtering more water and algae for cooking. And, and you know other stuff as well so it's probably closer to five liters in a day that i you know go through there
1: yeah it's crazy how much water you suck down i i found it doesn't matter what i'm doing and, and doesn't necessarily matter how full my 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 uh nalgene is or my my uh, camelback is like if i if i come across a nice creek crossing like i'm stopping to fill that thing up because i just blow i blow through the water too it's crazy <laughs>
2: Yeah, it is. I, I'm always like, yeah, I always want my stuff full, even though it makes it heavier, and and I operate so much better being hydrated.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, so. yeah. Well, I uh, I, I'm also on the same page of you as far as kind of like downsizing a little bit on the pack. Like, you know, it's that 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 first initial. you're the beginner elk hunter and you think you got to have all this stuff and that means you got to have a bigger pack and you got to plan for this hypothetical scenario and you got to have this for that and you know there really is something to uh, you know, really streamlining your setup and, and really going minimal. And, and that's what I've done. I've, I've just really, I still have a frame hauling pack. I can still throw a quarter on there. No problem. But, you know, as far as what I bring day to day on my hunts, it's, it's really, really, uh, shrinked quite significantly over the past couple of years. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, my second year out there, you're going to laugh at this, but like my pack with water and food and everything in it for seven days weighed 72 pounds
1: wow like that was
2: that's stupid like why (laughs) why do that like i had so many comfort items in there and i won't skimp on things like i always have a first aid kit with stuff in there that i know how to use and not just you know buying a kit and just throwing it in your pack because if you don't know how to use it it's worthless and so that's you know that's one thing i always bring and And for the most part, I'm always going to have rain gear, you know, or just a rain jacket. I used to bring jacket and pants, which the pants were nice at night when it was cold and or glassy when it's windy, but it wasn't, you know, a necessity. So I, you know, and I just try to dial in my clothing layering system to a point where I don't need doubles of things, you know, and try to have the least amount of things possible, you know, in my pack. And that's, that's what it's looking like. And I, I am saying this from a standpoint that I struggle with it really bad. So just note that it's, it's tough. You always want to throw things in, but there's so many, you know, gear lists and stuff you can learn from out there. I'd recommend anyone, you know, checking them out online. I have mine up online. I, I've learned from people like Brady Miller and, uh, you know, the, the guys at Exo mountain gear have a really good website set up with a bunch of different pack setups. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend, you know, copying somebody's thing, but you can get a lot of ideas from it and figure out what works for you.
1: Yeah. And, certainly.
2: you know, and, and, and the thing is like, if you forget something or you're and it, it or you take something in and, and you have a problem in reality, you're never really more than, you know, say at the most, eight hour hike back to the truck. That's that's putting like worst case scenario in my opinion, but like for the most part you can get back to your vehicle. Yeah. If you need it to yeah. to save your your comfort zone. So that's the way I'm trying to look at it. You know, this year is is maybe I'll have extra stuff in the truck which I definitely will, but not bringing it with me all the time.
1: Yep. Completely on the same page there. And like it it's elk hunting. Like if this if this was something where you're doing a drop camp fly in on a Super Cub into the the, the you know, Alaskan wilderness for for a 10 day trip, that's, you know, every ounce matters, every pound matters, every little item you take, you know, needs to ha- serve a purpose. And I think that's where, you know, weighing out everything and doing your gear lists and, and really getting into every single detail matters for the average elk hunter, especially if you're truck camping, and you're doing these day hunts, you might do a 10 mile loop and end up back at the road. Um, you know, like you said, it's it's there at the end of the day, or you can hike a couple miles out and, and go get it.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's so
2: true. And, and like you said, it's, it's easy for us to overthink it and gears, one of those things that, you know, and in myself included, you go down rabbit holes on when a lot of times you don't need to.
1: Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And nope. and as far as
2: like the, so to just, as far as like the, there's like three gear items that like, I think are like super yeah, important and you could probably throw a fourth one on there, but cutting specifically, I think having a good pack that you're able to haul out meat you're comfortable with is is really important. The, the first year I went out, I bought a pack. It was a good one, good name brand, but it was like the most ultra lightweight one possible, and it failed on me, and that was a problem. So I, you know, I had I had straps break. My cousin bought the same one. His main buckle on his hip belt snapped. Oh geez, and yeah, and then my I was cinching it down and the bag itself ripped and it was just not a good situation. So <laughs> like so I I think, you know, having a good pack when it's good quality and, and build and and kinda like goes in between lightweight and heavyweight, just you know, a quality built pack that fits you, that's you know set yeah. up for you.
1: Yeah, and you potentially and then you know yeah,
2: exactly, and and then, you know, boots that fit you too. So whatever it is, you can't I'm not gonna sit here and recommend, you know, one brand or or style of boot because everyone's different. I like a little bit of a stiffer boot myself, and that's you know, you know, I found ones that fit my feet decently. So making sure you don't get blisters and everything. So quality boots I think is a good one. But it's funny because I say this and the guys I went with in Colorado last year, <laughs> the one guy, Logan, that we always he jokes around and he's like, Oh, look at you with all this in a good gear and he's out there in tennis shoes, you know, and he's getting it done. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's all and you know what yeah, preference you want, but and for me I, I like a you know a good boot that I think that's a big thing. And then when it comes down to uh, I think clothing layering systems are huge too as far as and when, when you're truck camping, I mean it's not as as important, but I still think that if if you can swing it and save a little bit of money you know buying some quality you know clothing systems there's you know a bunch of companies that are out there doing it now they make good stuff and figuring out what works for you for moisture management i i don't know if you agree with that or if you have anything to add but that's kind of some of my thoughts
1: yeah yeah no i uh in regards to the the uh, pack 100% um boot situation same thing it's it's just whatever your preference is i've seen a lot of people rock tennis shoes um you know I, I actually get a decent amount of emails on that too where people are like you know what should i go with for a boot and i just kind of like well what are you looking? what are you looking to do if you're are you looking to hunt more late season where you could be dealing with snow or you are you more lower elevations where you're going to be hunting in hotter weather um Are you, is this something that you're going to be doing multiple weeks a year? Is it just a week trip every year? Like if it's, if it's in certain scenarios, like where you're just going out, it's an early September archery hunt, like just get some general hiking boots that just fit good or like some, you know, uh, I don't like shoes because I like the ankle support, you know, I don't like rolling ankles. I've done that too many times, but you know, just, it doesn't necessarily have to be the extreme stiff, you know high elevation hiking boot that's waterproof and all this stuff like just whatever's comfortable and and you know for a couple hundred bucks you could you could have a good pair of boots for sure now if you were a sheep guide in Alaska and you know you're up at 15,000 feet or 12,000 feet, and you're dealing with all this, this rocks and, and, you know, rain and snow and just all these conditions, then yeah, you you should probably spend four or $500 on your boots. Just no questions asked, but elk hunting, I think, I think you can get away with a lot more. And then as far as the, the clothing system, yeah, same thing. A layering system is key. Uh, you know, uh, if for Colorado, I've actually never worn or purchased any type of rain gear, anything that's ever happened it's usually like an afternoon like you know small shower or something or a thunderstorm might roll through and i just kind of waited out under a tree and some of the outer shells too like there there, there's a decent enough uh water resistance there it's not going to be waterproof but for half hour hour soaker underneath the tree it's it's going to get you through so i've actually never used any rain gear but um a layering system i feel like is is definitely key because as you know i mean it it could be 75 80 degrees during the day and then when that that sun drops it's uh (laughs) definitely chilly on top of a ridge with a little wind blowing it's you, you need that that variation there
2: yeah i mean i've been in my tent when it snowed six inches you know overnight and then by the, you know by noon it's up to 70 degrees again yeah so like being able to take things off and kind of you know and and do all that with a good layering system i think is definitely important and, and like you said everything's fit for use in what you're doing like with the boot situation or like if you're hunting an area that has more open country then optics might become a really big yeah you know thing for you But if you're hunting dark timber and stuff, then that might not be as important. You know, there's, and all, all those things can benefit you. Like having quality gear, you know, I'm, I am big on, you know, buying quality gear and investing in it and building it over time, but it's not all a necessity. If you're looking to elk hunt and you're worried about that being a barrier, don't. Like that's, that's my, that's my thought on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, how about uh, more of your physical preparation? I know you're a pretty active guy. Uh, You you stay in in good shape. Um, What's kind of your routine there? I know you're doing some hikes and some weighted pack walks and kind of using the gear double double whammy. But uh, as far as like your physical activity, what are you doing? Some runs, you hitting gym, what's that look like?
2: Yeah, so that's something again that's been so that I've changed so much and like adapted. Cause I I grew up like when I was in college and everything, I was big into lifting weights and all that, and I thought you know at the beginning that's what I need to do. So I was I was strong, but I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't mountain in mountain shape. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> you need to definitely. I think if the more that you can hike with a pack on, I think is so good. But anything that works, you know, your legs, your core shoulders and your back I think are the four main muscles groups that like that really can help you on hunting and do I think you know physical fitness is like the n- number one thing to be successful no but what I do believe is you'll never wish that you were in worse shape yeah. Like I no matter <laughs> what I'm always like I need to up I need to up this next year and so this year I'm actually doing a there's an a online course which I've never done anything besides what I've you know kind of taught myself and this is this is new to me but it's been really helpful is uh, mountain tough fitness workout okay, so I bought cool. I bought I bought their plan which it, what, what's in that is like a bunch of um, it's a lot of gym work because it's set up so anybody in the country can do that you know so if you have hills and stuff around you that helps for hiking and, and, you know, kind of getting some pack workouts in, but it also includes, you know, gym workouts that can help you out, whether that's, you know, step ups. So you have, I built a little wooden box that's, you know, 16 inches off the ground that I'll put weight in my pack and just step up and step down, step up and step down. Super boring, but can be really effective. And so I'm doing a whole bunch of, you know, just overall body, um, you know workouts, but within that, I'm trying to make the workouts fast. One because of you know time constraints. Everyone's busy now, and that's you know not going to change. So, doing like taking less breaks in between. You know, say you're doing sets of stuff, um, and or say if you're running, maybe sprinting here and there, and doing things just to kind of keep you know just testing your body in different scenarios and get that heart rate up. I think that's been helpful, and I was just in Colorado this past weekend hiking, and it was I felt so much better than I did in previous years, and and I I definitely think that'll that'll help me out in one way or another because when you get, you know, as you know, as you get late in a hunt and you're hunting, you know, you're on day five, six, seven, it's a lot easier to quit, you know, if you're not in good shape because what that does is it goes right to your mind and once your mind says you can't do something
0: you're kind of screwed when you have yeah.
2: that you have that confidence in your head if you know you're in shape you're feeling good then i mean confidence is everything with it. and and i think that being in good physical you know shape can help that a ton
1: yeah yeah exactly and i i try to tell people just to be well-rounded too and and whatever whatever you're capable of. like you said like whatever you can do now is only going to benefit you. You don't have to be the Cameron Haynes, although, you know, he's badass. He gets it done and that's an awesome way to do it, but you don't necessarily have to be on that level. And, um, you know, I try to tell people to be well-rounded in the sense of like elk hunting really is, especially, you know, hunting some of the dark timber, nasty stuff. It really is a full body workout. I mean, you're, 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 compromise like bending you know down below a log or you're going along the side of a cliff edge along some rocks and you got to keep your balance you got a heavy pack on you're trying to maneuver over deadfall it's just it can be if you're not in in pretty decent shape it can be uh, a little bit dangerous you know because your body's just not built for it and when you get tired you start making mistakes you start getting a little bit lazy and uh you can, some things can happen. So I just try to tell people, you know, just to try to concentrate on the full body too. If you can do like, you know, prepare your ankles a little bit, like trying to side hill it, walk on, you know, just try to get your feet in uncomfortable positions and just try different things on sides of hills. It, it really does make a difference for sure.
2: Yeah. You know, that, that's so true. And like with anything with, with working out, like it's, you're only going to get better the, the, the more you do it. And it's I think it's more about consistency than it is, you know, going super hard every workout. And I'm saying this from the standpoint that that Mountain Tough workout is really tough. And it's and but you don't need to do that every time. If you so like what what working out and fitness has taught me is discipline that I've been able to you know, take over into my everyday life, my, you know, my job, my, you know, just when you're healthier, it's just overall helps you in life. And I think that's huge, you know, just, it takes discipline to get up every morning when the alarm goes off at, you know, four or four 30 in the morning to, to get up and work out. But I, I think that just helps you in so many other aspects of life, even, you know, beyond hunting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What uh what are you doing for your your arrow weight, maybe broadheads? What are you shooting? Is, is anything changed from from whitetail to what you're you're going to do for elk or is is last year's setup going to change from from this year's? Talk to us a little bit about your your bow setup and and uh, your arrows, broadheads, that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah, so I um this year actually I kept everything really similar to last year. Um, as far as the arrow setup goes, the only change is I switched to a four fletch, um, arrow or fletching instead of doing, uh, the three fletch and just, <laughs> I, I think it's going to help out a little bit more with, you know, broadhead, um, flight and everything. I think it, you know, distance, but that's, this is not proven yet. I'm in the middle of testing, but that's the change. But what my arrow setup looks like is I'm, I'm shooting, uh, these gold tip, uh, Pierce platinum arrows so they're like a, a small diameter arrow with a collar up front that kind of opens it up a little bit and uh, I added an extra 25 grain uh, weight to the back of the, the insert and then I'm shooting 125 grain iron wheel broadhead up front I'm a, I'm a pretty big fixed blade guy I think there's pros and cons to both but for me personally I like fixed blades so I'm, I'm shooting that and my total arrow weight comes out to, I think it's like 486.
1: Wow, so it's, nice. a,
2: it's, a, it's a pretty pretty heavy arrow. Um, it flies good. And I use the same arrow for whitetails. I I just, I believe in, I want to keep consistency across the board. And I, you could definitely get away with a lighter arrow for whitetails. But for me, I, I do want to still, and with running, like say the Iron Will up front, you know, you don't always make an optimal shot and if i hit a shoulder i hit you know a rib at an angle or something i want to crush through it and i want to have the best opportunity possible so that's how my that's how my arrows are set up and so that you know the the con to that is the speed of the bow so my bow i'm shooting a, a prime logic ct3 uh this year which i shot the logic last year and it's shooting at like 267 feet per second that's not very fast it's not crazy fast but it's Fast enough, and I know that that the penetration and everything that I'm going to get out of it is great. So yeah, that's kind of what my what my bow is, and I'm running a a Spot Hog uh, Fast Eddie XL site. I've been using that site for four years now, and it's a double pin, which I love. That I, I've always been a single pin guy, but there's you know the cons to keeping your pin set in one spot because you can't just adjust it usually on the fly. So the double pin helps because I can leave for whitetails, I leave the top pin at 25 yards and the second one comes out to like 38 yards. So that covers like all of my whitetail range. I can aim, you know, kind of figure out where to aim from there. And for elk hunting, I leave the top pin at 30 and my second pin's at like 42. And that covers a lot of it. And if it's further than that and I'm comfortable shooting, then usually you have time to dial it in, you know, yeah. to the, yeah, to the like exact that. range. So that's kind of. I've been trying to take more of a realistic you know approach to that and and being able to you know i I do that when I'm practicing you know I'm shooting a whole bunch of different random yardages and not moving my sight and just figuring out you know how learning your bow and just like it is with gear just learning you know how it operates how it shoots how much it's gonna drop the whole the whole bit so
1: yeah well it sounds like it sounds like you got a good setup man and and uh I recently had uh guy named Jake Bell on the podcast, he's a bow tech and, you know, worked on bows for years. He's really cool, really smart dude when it comes to archery equipment. And uh, he's just saying he sees a lot of guys come out to Colorado and their setups are just not, I mean, they're just lightweight arrows, uh, you know uh, expandable broadheads, just not the, the ideal setup. And, 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 uh, so it sounds like you've really taken the time. You've really learned, you know, what's shooting good out of your bow and, and making some fine tune adjustments and, and, uh, you got it honed in. Cause I, I think that's so key. I mean, I've, you go out, you got the wrong setup, you get that shot opportunity and, You wound that elk or you don't get the penetration there's nothing worse i've been there um and it it really sucks and i think if more people would just kind of take the extra time really learn their setup i think we'd have a lot less uh you know wounded elk running around and like i said i know shit happens it's never perfect but you know just doing your due diligence is gonna it's it's good for everything
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's one thing I learned, I was up in Alberta last year. I went on a whitetail hunt. It was the first time I ever went on an outfitted hunt. And it happened to be with, you know, a pretty, you know, well-known outfitter up there. And, and Jim Hole Jr. was the name of the, the, the guy who runs the whole place. And he said he he can tell when hunters come in, the guys that have the brand new, you know, bows all the time. Looks like the arrows just came out of the box. He's like, oh, we're going to have to work with these ones. And then, you know, <laughs> he's got these guys that come in with the, the old bows that are, you know, worn in. Or, it doesn't have to be an old bow, but something that you could tell that they, you know, they've worked Puts on, on. themselves. Or, yeah, just, you know, got comfortable with it. And he's like, those are the guys that, that kill shit. You know, it's like they know their stuff. They know how it works. And that's, that's, that is a huge, you know, a huge part of it. And I, I think that, it's just knowing your equipment and I, I worked in a nursery shop for three years myself and saw the different people would come in and uh, I always hated when people would come in and want to change up their arrow setups and get a new site and their bow tuned like two weeks before the season it just made me cringe yeah <laughs> and, and yeah. two weeks is giving them leniency sometimes they come in <laughs> you know like a couple
1: Day days before. before
2: hey can you get this bow done like what <laughs> <laughs> don't you owe it to the animal come yeah, on yeah
1: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly don't be that guy don't be that guy if yeah. you're listening <laughs> yeah. well cool man yeah. well this is this is a lot of good stuff i uh this is this is covering. Um, so much you know in in regards to just elk hunting and just hunting in general bow hunting a lot of a lot of good tactics a lot of good good conversation here um what's what's your plans for this fall are you uh, i know you're hunting idaho but are you going to hit more later september are you going to really chase the rut are you going early what's that look like
2: yeah so i'm going a little later than i normally do normally i have hunted last year i started september 1st in colorado hunted to the 14th and then usually I was in that like second week time frame. And this year I'm driving out September 11th. Won't Won't be hunting till like the 13th. And I'm going to hunt through like the 20th, 21st, somewhere in that range. And so I'm going to hunt a little bit later, try to get a little more, you know, rut action there. And I'm going to have uh elk tag and a deer tag in my pocket. So that'll be, that'll be cool to be able to have both those there.
1: Wow. And, nice. Yeah.
2: So that's, that's my plan for the, The western hunt and like like i was kind of mentioned earlier mostly it's gonna be truck camping and uh you know maybe if i find them you know see the elk somewhere up there i want to get up to glass early and i don't want to you know be hiking you know three hours in the dark to get there maybe i'll you know pack in a night or something but that's the that's the kind of big plan for that and then from there it'll be i'll be i have a week off to hunt tales in pennsylvania which is i have trouble not doing that even though i live here i love hunting pennsylvania it's not a state that's known much but it can be some really cool hunting and uh going to a, a whole new area in the state and, and uh gonna be you know camping and and doing some hunting that way too so and probably some weekend trips to southern ohio when i get some time
1: very cool man sounds like a jam-packed fall and I know uh I know you mentioned you're were, you're were just recently out in Colorado what uh and you got some hiking in got a little bit of exploration and what 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 made you come out this way
2: so my my brother just got out of the air force and he moved out to just outside of Denver to go to a gunsmithing school and so he him and his wife moved out there so I went off to visit for a long weekend cool you know I got I only have so many days vacation so I try to you know, use it sparingly, and that, it's, it's funny, everyone's like, you're crazy, you're, you're flying to Colorado for, like, two and a half days, I'm like, yep, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, it was so worth it, so we just, that was my first time being in a western state for something other than a hunt, and that was kind of nice, too, yeah, to yeah. get to enjoy it, we drove around and just checked out different areas, and camped, and hiked, and just, you know, Got to do the whole bit, saw concert at Red Rocks and that was cool.
1: Man, you packed a lot into just a couple days. You really know how to Oh yeah. How to get it done. <laughs> I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: I was I was I I flew in. It's funny, my plane got delayed and I got into Pittsburgh at like midnight and I had a three hour drive home that by the time I got home it was like three thirty in the morning and and had to be at work at seven. So that was interesting. That was it was, fun. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a tiring week. Let's put it that way. I bet. But it's, it's, it's all worth it. You don't remember that stuff, but you know, down the road, you just remember the memories. So
1: exactly. Go for it. Go for it. Well, before we drop off here, tell us a little bit about your, uh, the website, the podcast, where we can go to find out more.
2: Yeah, man. Well, uh, so, yeah, I, I uh, host a podcast called the East Meets West Hunt Podcast. You can find that on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, anywhere that you can find podcasts. And uh, also over on my website, it's eastmeetswesthunt.com. And I started that all to help people, kind of what we're talking about here, plan, you know, adventure style hunts and, you know, put together the information that that uh, you would need to be able to do that. You know the best way I can I I don't know you know a ton about anything so I try to get people on the podcast that you know know a lot about a specific topic and then hopefully ask the right questions <laughs> so that's kind of the, the plan with that and you can also find um that stuff over on my Instagram page uh, uh at east meets west hunt and then my personal page just at artonic.
1: cool man yeah, I feel like the podcast is—it's uh, a way for me to to learn myself, and uh, other people just get to tune in a, on that. That's uh, <laughs> i am just interested, you know. I want to find out every little thing, and like I said, you, you have people that that know more, and you can learn from them, and other people get to benefit and, and learn along with you. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's,
2: it's, it's that's so awesome. Like that's when I when I realized when I got back from that first hunt that and I, I wrote an article on it and I don't want to you know, drag this out. But when I was, when I uh, got back in the hunt, I wrote an article for myself. Like I wasn't writing at the time. Now I do a decent amount of writing, but at the time I just wrote the story of the hunt. And there was this online publication called the journal of mountain, mountain hunting, and they were running a subscriber story like contest. So I submitted the story and I titled it East meets West. And they ran the story. And I I got a decent amount of feedback from people being like, oh man, I wish I could do that. Wish I had your time or money. And I'm like, hold on a second. I work a regular job. I definitely don't have a lot of money. And, you know, time that you have to plan it. And I realized there was a gap in information there. So I started the podcast to, you know, help people realize that those type of dream hunts and everything are possible to the average guy or girl. You know, that's just, that's, basically where it all stemmed from and and I wanted to learn more myself so I you know I get to talk to these awesome people and I'm like might as well throw a mic on and help others (laughs) out in the process
0: yeah
1: I love it man I love it very cool stuff I, I love what you're doing I love what you got going on um we'll definitely have to have you back on for a a future episode and just pick your brain as we we both learn the west man and both learn you know more about this stuff and we'll just we'll just catch up and have some good conversation and hopefully we can link up here at some point maybe i won't see you till next winter till uh show season but uh, either way we'll (laughs) we'll, we'll run into each other soon i'm sure
2: (laughs) yeah yeah we definitely always do that's
1: for sure adam Well, cool, Bo. Well, I really appreciate it. You have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon.
2: All right. See you later, man.
1: All right. And there it is. Another episode in the books. Big thanks to Bo for coming on the show. You the man. I, uh, I, I really, really enjoyed that episode. And I hope you guys did as well for the people heading west best of luck you're in for a treat this is going to be a great year um you know anytime you're hunting it's 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 going to be an awesome time but you know this year in particular i think it's going to be very well for uh majority of people heading out that's just my prediction i could be wrong but uh you know you guys uh, when this episode's airing you guys are going to be you know either at elk camp or on your way to it some of you guys so that's that's pretty cool. So hopefully this one gets you gets you fired up and gives you that last little push. And and for those of you who are, are planning for next year, hopefully this helped you out there. There's a lot of good information on what Bo does and and what he does repair gear, scouting, um, all that stuff. So really, really, really good information. All right, I I am not going to keep you here any longer. I, again, I appreciate you tuning in. Thanks again to our sponsors, Expedition Archery, Skull Brew Coffee and outdoor edge knives thanks again and we'll talk to you soon